and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside my good friend, the KC Kid, Noah Metzger, we're here to bring you another episode of Fountain City Sports Media. And I'm so thankful to have Noah in the studio here today because it's been a hellacious week for many people. Uh, going back, this is this is like a 10-day pre-forecast. So let me just let me just give you some like story as to what's been going on and why Noah is a literal saint here. So starting into last week, before we even posted the last episode, uh, my wife had to be matron of honor in a wedding. So I was kind of helping her run stuff all the way across the metro, you know, like picking up a keg here, dropping stuff off all the way down across town. Driving out to Powell Garden, beautiful wedding, beautiful time, all at the say it's time consuming. Simultaneously, on the same side of things, Hot Take, take Mondo, Mondo, being the big shot opera, opera star he is, actually has had to get, get a gig prepared for, uh, he's, he's doing, doing something out in L.A. LA. So, so he, he had, had to get his music all learned up, coachings and all that, that. and we're like, how are we going to get an episode cranked out this week? I'm doing the wedding stuff, you're getting your gig prepared, he flew out on Wednesday, I had to submit a bunch of non-tax-related documents Wednesday. I'm like, what are we going to do? And he's like, I, I trust in you, Reese. And I said, thank you for your trust, Armando. I will do whatever I can to get some content out this week. So at the 12th hour, bottom of the ninth, two outs, I'm like, Noah, dog, can you come on the cast and help me cut an episode of Fountain City Sports Media? To which he said, yes. So ladies and gentlemen, returning and back by popular demand, the Kansas City kid, Noah Metzger. How are you doing, Noah? Oh, I'm great, Reese. It's it's my day off, so you're not inconveniencing me by any means. And to talk about, well, you know, we've kind of put some water out on the fire, haven't we, a little bit the last week or so. Well, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because had Armando and I stuck to our original schedule of cutting this cast Sunday night like we normally do, this was going to mm-hmm. be a what the heck has gone on and gone wrong in the last like <laughs> two weeks Royals cast. I had an outline set up for like all of our failures. I had all of our audio receipts of things we said a few weeks ago about the Royals, which were all infactual at that point. So uh, did you watch the game last night at all? Did you get a chance to see that? Uh, I didn't, I, I I didn't watch it. I just, you know, I worked um, till 10. Mm -hmm. So I followed it on my phone and then I saw that we, what we had the lead lost it then got it again. Then just kept it the way through or did we lose did we did we lose it again or no that that's basically the way it went it was the, four to three yeah the we wound up winning six to four the game kind of went the way that our games had been going prior to that losing streak where we kept doing the royals thing of finding ways to win as opposed to finding different ways to lose you know what i'm saying exactly it, it seems like this team, when they do find ways to win, it's just strictly by manufacturing runs. It, it, it kind of like the old 2015 way of, you know, but there's a lot of growth that needs to happen with everybody, the lineup, the bullpen. I, I mean, that I mean, we'll get into it, but you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, like I said, we're putting water out on the fire right now. And you have that, that 11 game, 11 game losing streak and you're 20, 22, six games back. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a little rough. <laughs> yeah yeah but there's a silver lining it is my point oh absolutely you know? no you, you you're totally right in those regards it is 100 percent putting water on the fire it's a long season 
We've only just crossed the quarter season mark, guys. We've only crossed the quarter season mark, and we're still technically in contention, which is far more than we can say any season past 2017. So before we really dig our heels into this and start talking about some Kansas City Royals, I do want to give some quick shout-outs to all of our Sporting Kansas City fans. Thank you so much for bearing with us. We do have a Sporting Kansas City episode coming next week. I know we've kind of uh, left those guys in the back burner for the last couple weeks. We we do apologize. We love our team. I've got my state line jersey right in front of me, and I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, but that'll be coming next week, so get your ears prepped on that. Just some other basic things, basic social media talk, ladies and gentlemen. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fountain City SM. And you can also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM for exclusive content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. So, let's dig into some Royals. Now, before we begin, we have to take this way back to the end of April when the Royals had the best record in baseball. Noah, what were your thoughts at that point in time when we're standing on the last day of April saying, hi-ho, hi-ho, to the top of the AL Central we go? I mean, I was up at the top with everybody celebrating, you know, pumping my arms and cheering, but at the same time in the back of my head, I was like, look, 22 games, baseball season, we've got to keep our heads. We've got to understand this team is still figuring out who they are what they can do, how much adversity they can handle. I mean, but I was still, I was really happy. I felt like, you know, you keep, oh, uh, 50% of that play up for the rest of the rest of the first half of the season. And you're probably second, first place, you know, like it, 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 you don't, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) then, uh, what, what, I don't know what analogy you're the king of analogies, man. There's so many things. Then the doors came off. Then the, the floods came. I don't know. It was just, it, it was tough, man. That's the toughest Royal stretch I've had. We've had in a long time. Well, I mean, I didn't want to be all morose, but going back to what you're saying about having the wheels fall off the wagon, there I kept go. saying that, but <laughs> I kept thinking that would happen later on in the season, you know, 100-plus games in when our bullpen starts getting tired and our starting rotation gets dinged up, you know, at Alberto Mondesi is yet to make his season debut. I thought it would happen far down the line. I did not expect it to happen in the second month of baseball, and that's what was so jarring about it for me. Yeah, you know, it was a night and day in, in a 12-game stretch, you know. I mean, what what – you saw basically the, what the, this team can probably be at its best, which is first place in this division, maybe more than a wild card, you know, what have you. And then you saw what it can be at its worst. And I feel like it just was, I, I don't know, like, yeah, they snapped out of it, but it took a long time and it seemed to affect every single aspect of this team. Well, that's a really good point. Cause it really was a comedy of errors of everything going wrong at the same time. I mean, where do you want to start? Let's start at the pitching even. You know, Brad Keller was still trying to find his feet. We decided to move Jacob Junis to the bullpen in order to call up Daniel Lynch, and he just got shelled for the better part of two and a half starts. So our pitching rotation wasn't great. Going to the bats, the bats all chilled out at the exact same time. Hunter Dozier and Jorge Soler still aren't above 200. And we got outscored in that losing stretch 70-30 to 30 at one point. We went... 28 innings without scoring a run. That's like the Chiefs going two games in a fourth quarter without scoring a touchdown. Like, how would that even be possible? 
uh, you know, man, I guess it just shows you what chemistry means in baseball, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, we have one of the best leaders in baseball in Salvi, you know, one of the best by example, oh, yeah. play, whatever, what, whatever you want to say. But at the same time, it still seemed like Benetendi is still trying to figure out, you know, how to get back to his form of what, like two years ago when he was in Boston. And that's kind of why we got him cheap. Was he still kind of a head case from what I heard? Solaire is clearly, you know, having an off season. I don't know how to go down that road. Dozier, well, he was hurt and then came back, right? Mm-hmm. And then got hurt again. He's got a concussion protocol mm-hmm. now. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like maybe if they can just keep, just keep to the 500 until they can maybe get their heads right. You know, maybe get the chemistry right and start really playing for, playing for each other, man. It doesn't feel like they were doing that. They were all just down and just didn't seem characteristic of the guys we had there. Motivational character guys. Well, I mean, this team definitely all vibes together and they can all collapse together. And what we saw during that 11 game losing stretch was they were all collapsing at the same time. I mean, Whit Merrifield was batting. I think it was like 240 during that stretch. As I mentioned, Solaire not doing great. Dozier dinged up. Even Salvi was having trouble, particularly, I believe, was in that White Sox series. He, yeah. He went like, I think it was 0 for 11 at one point. It was it was hard to watch. And there was a certain point, particularly, as I mentioned, in that running or the, the run drought where we didn't score for like two and a half games. I'm just like, are we ever going to score again? So that was just like double decker bad streaks. And the other thing that really killed us, that set this entire thing into motion, was when we got swept by the Cleveland Indians in that four-game series. Now, albeit that was a bunch of circumstances that happened there, but in all four of those games, we had leads in our bullpen bloom, which was incredibly uncharacteristic. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know we had some injuries. Zimmer got injured, you know. Uh, There's talk of Wade Davis maybe being a little bit injured up here, but... Man, Stamont lost his control. Barlow lost his control. Wade Davis straight up lost us some games. We tried overextending Holland. It was just, oh, it was so painful to watch. You know what kind of sparked it? It it surprised me because I actually listened to the game was the Angel Hernandez incident. Oh, gosh. Sparked this whole thing, man. Like, (laughs) what we lost, I think we had lost the, or he balked. There was a runner on. They were going to take the lead. And like, you know, usually when your manager gets thrown out for being fired up, you know, your team, you, you normally, you see the team rally behind him and we just crumbled. And then from there, it was like a domino effect all the way down. Oh yeah. And I don't know, man, I, I'm not saying that's the, the sole cause of it, you know, but I feel like coaching needs, needs to have a lot of accountability for this too. Well, I think you're right in that because why does it seem that every time we have pitching prospects and they get called up to the majors, they either stall in their development or they straight up don't develop? Because right now, you know, Brady Singer's been hot and cold. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he's not bad. He's just not living up to his billing. Bubich had a bit of a eh, indentation, if you want to, if you want to count it as a line. Like last year, he was pretty consistent. This year in spring training, he really dipped. But since his call back up and playing out of the bullpen, he's starting to show some of that magic that we expect out of Chris Bubich. But let's look at the albatross in the room here. Daniel Lynch. So like I said, for that first start he had, he went, uh, I believe it was four and two-thirds before they pulled him in the fifth when I thought they should have just let him get out of that situation. So that game, the box score doesn't tell the whole story. 
but the next two starts, he didn't get out of the first inning and allowed eight runs in that second start. That was atrocious. And the game after that, I think he went for, uh, I believe it was two and two-thirds innings, still allowing over four runs. Dude, it was painful. And for a guy who they keep saying has like incredible, just like stamina and composure up here in the mind, how did he look so mentally shaken during those during those two games? Like, who do we have to hold accountable for this? I think there's a combination of things. You know, we don't really know exactly what is going on, but also they threw him to the wolves immediately. And obviously he's not ready. I think that's part of it. I think that maybe it was the circumstances, the way the way the team was going. Maybe once everybody gets their head right and he gets his head right, he'll come out and actually start pitching consistently. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like, yeah, he was highly touted and 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 all this stuff, and then that can get to a, a, a player's head too. And you know, you don't wonder the coaching staff is what are they saying to him coming up? Are they confident with him? Are they saying you know make sure that you're still working? you know, refining your game. I don't know, man. Like it's, this isn't the first one. That's the frustrating thing. All of our top build pitching prospects, like you said, they come up and they, they just don't seem to have what it takes. And it's Mm -hmm. like, is it our minor league system? Is our coaching down there? We spent money to go out and, and, and help this team, but we need this young pitching to come through for us to actually compete for a spot in the playoffs. So it's, Luckily, right now, you know, it's young enough that we don't have to hit the panic button. But another stretch like that, and you, Arcus is cooked, man. There's no doubt about that. Well, you kept using the word panic so far, and I think that's a really good way to describe this because that's really what the Daniel Lynch move felt like, was that they mm-hmm. weren't sure what was going on with Brad Keller. They said he wasn't injured. He wasn't pitching like he was injured necessarily. He just had zero command. And he was playing like the opposite of Brad Keller baseball, which is, you know, very strict, very consistent, get a lot of ground balls. He couldn't do that, dude. He was throwing meatballs. So what they decided to do to like break the glass was call up the top pitching prospect of that 2018 class, put him in the rotation and bump out Jacob Junis into the bullpen, which to me is a really puzzling move because Junis was really thriving as that fifth person in the rotation. He's added that cutter to his uh, his cutter to his arsenal this year of pitches, and he's looked like a refreshed guy. Now we know going from the rotation to the bullpen is not as easy as just flicking the switch. It's an entirely different mental game. You don't get as much of a chance to warm up and settle in. And I think the only person I can even remember going into the bullpen from being a starter and still being elite is Madison Bumgarner in 2014. But we don't mm. talk. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> but the list is equally as long for people that haven't been able to do it. The cyborg pitcher. It's a cyborg, crazy. He, he also does rodeos under an alias. I found out, which I think is super cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said uh, this is the best story I heard was an interview saying that when he was booed by Royals fans, he cried after the game because he didn't <laughs> want to be disliked by people. He's just oh. a farm boy out in North Carolina, you know. Yeah, dude. I can just I can see him there in the bullpen, uh, coming out of the bullpen, you know, and he's getting on the mound and like Madison Bumgarner, everyone booing. He's just got like one single stoic tear. <laughs> like in the Coke commercial. Yeah. <laughs> he just goes to the side, he just goes to the dugout. Why doesn't anybody like me? Oh my goodness. Oh jeez. Oh. That that man, gosh. I did we watch one of the games he pitched. Nah, that was before I moved to Kansas City, dog. I was still back in Iowa when that happened. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, oh, oh man. All that to say, I found the idea of moving Junis into the bullpen incredibly surprising. I would have put, I don't know, put Brad Keller on the injured list just to get him out of the rotation if you wanted to throw Daniel Lynch in there. But subsequently, the Junis experiment did not go well. In that first start, he came out of the bullpen. He allowed a two-run and three-run home run in the same inning. And that, to me, pinpointed the, the rolling of the stone down the hill turning into an avalanche. That's where it all happened. And even last night, in the ninth inning, when Stallmont was out there to close, they kept mentioning that Jacob Junis was in the bullpen. I'm like, why are we bringing him in a closing situation, potentially, guys? Come on! I, I I feel, I know our record, I know how the games have been going and everything, but it just seems like they're trying to figure out roles. Like, who, what's the best role for this guy? What's the best role for this guy? And they're swinging and <laughs> missing right now. Because if you have a guy who has control as a starter right now, we need him in there and we need him to, because you eat, eat up four or five innings. Just give us a, a, you know, a chance at this point. This kind of smoothed itself out recently, but, but yeah, you can't have starters go in less than three innings. Well, and that's, what's been really difficult so far is that we can't seem to get starters to go for more than like five and a third, five and two thirds. I mean, back during that 2015 run, it's not like we had a murderer's row of aces, but everybody could go for six and start fading out, you know, closing into the seventh inning. Right now, our bullpen's getting gassed by a combination of guys that can't do extended starts and also injuries, depletion, and age in the bullpen. Looking at the starting rotation right now, it's it's looking okay. Mike Miner had a great start last time up. He's got his ERA at five. Not exactly where I want to see it. Uh, Danny Duffy's still dealing. He's got a sub two ERA, but he is on that ten day injured list with that forearm strain. Yeah, he got hurt. Did you, do you know what happened with that? I from what I don't I don't know exactly what happened. It's not like he what was it was a throwing session that that he did it. It was something like that. Yeah, he just said he felt like a like a tweak in his forearm, which I mean at least it's not his shoulder. Thank heavens. But well, if yeah, I mean let the man rest because if he can come back and do. Uh, you know, a modicum of how he was because he was, I mean, man, he was dealing at an ace level for a while. Oh yeah. He had the lowest DRA in baseball for a while there until, you know, things happened, but you know, yeah, but you know, we can, you know, he's let him, if there's anybody you want to make sure you rest when they need rest, you know, saying keep him healthy because we love seeing him pitch like that was just, that that gave me hope going forward, but at the same time, he has so many injury, you know, his so much injury history. It's like you got all these younger guys brought up, and Singer's shown that he can pitch at one or two level, you know. So yeah, Singer's been having a good season for himself. He didn't have the greatest spring training, but he's seemingly batting down the hatches, and he's got a sub four ERA so far, and that's counting yeah. that terrible, uh, <laughs> terrible game. I, wa- with those, I watched uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> But last but not least, looking around this uh, rotation, you know, Jacob Junis, he's got a 5.52 ERA right now, but part of that is inflated through him getting shelled in the bullpen. So I don't mm-hmm. have the numbers in front of me, but I'd, very be, I'd be very interested to see what his starting pitcher ERA is uh, because he's been a really good back of the order, back of the rotation starter for us. And then, of course, uh, coming in at a paltry 15.75 ERA is Daniel Lynch, who has been optioned back down to AAA Omaha, thankfully. Oh, he did. I thought Matheny said he was going to stick with him. No. uh, So this is the the only silver lining to the Daniel Lynch experiment so far. 
there has been a lot of talk and a lot of breakdown that he has been inadvertently pitch tipping, and that's how he's gotten shelled the last two games so much, which I believe to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's, it's the yips. It's from being a rookie. It's from, he hadn't played a full season of baseball since 2019, you know, so you can't, oh, just, wow. you can't just call him up in this like free falling situation and say, Hey, you're going to be our parachute deploy and execute exactly how we want you to That's just asking too much. Let's see what the chances are that when he's brought back up, probably a few months from now, what it may, maybe, you know, shorter than that. He pitches well because th- well, he's a psyche guy, man. And that's the thing you said with Junis. You messed with his psyche. He was this starter. He was consistent. He's like, well, everyone else is struggling, but I seem to have my stuff. And then, you know, no, oh, we're going to put you in the bullpen now. That messes with the guy's head, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like you need an offseason almost to to recondition someone to being a bullpen pitcher. I mean, look at Wade Davis. I was going to say, took forever. Wade Davis was the, is one of the best. Yep. And, and he, he had that starter stuff. He just couldn't go the long innings. And then once he could actually just let go, he saw something special. And I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the case with Junis. He's a starter. I agree. He is a starter. He's got potential to be a three, four guy and he's currently killing it as a five guy. for Mm -hmm. us. You know, it's it's sort of the same thing. Noah, you're a singer. Hot take Mondo's a singer. You know, there are fantastic all time voices that were not good opera performers and opera singers, but killed as concert singers. You know, it's it's because it's two entirely different beasts with two entirely different mindsets. And just because you can't do one doesn't mean you can't do the other. And just because you're great at one doesn't necessarily mean you're great at the other. Just like in, you know, sports, you learn how to do something a certain way. So you learn how to sing musical theater a certain way. And then you learn how to sing opera a certain way. You learn how to pitch as a starter a certain way. And then you learn how to pitch in the bullpen a certain way. And yeah, it, it, that's, that's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great analogy, man. You know, it's, it's funny because then hopefully Junis can use this much like opera singers can use their structure and, you know, our vocal strength and everything. When we were do, do something like musical theater, we have more, I don't know. We have more, uh, technique. There we go. Gosh, I forgot the word. <laughs> it's been so long. It's your <laughs> technique. Brain hurdy. <laughs> brain brain hurdy. <laughs> I want cookies in a 90 minute cut of Avatar. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I want cookies in a 90 minute cut of the 2015 World Series. I, you don't get us together. We're going to have to quote Rick and Morty at least once or twice. Oh, my gosh. That'd be so great. That'd be so great. But yeah, man. I, I If there's one thing we needed to, we need to not tamper with when it's working is our pitching. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure you want to get into the lineup because I, man, I have some thoughts on Solar. I got a lot of thoughts on Solar myself. And uh, I think we will talk about that when we return to Fountain City Sports Media. everyone's favorite time of the podcast at least it normally is as i had to mention earlier on in the episode we had to pull a bit of an audible with this week's podcast thanks again to noah for jumping into the last minute to make this all possible but unfortunately i can't be drinking a beer at 10 a.m more importantly you don't want to hear me do a one-man show reviewing a beer by myself in a closet at 10 a.m or maybe you do I don't know, that's up to you. But more importantly, to keep in the spirit of this week in craft beer, 
This week in Craft Beer, we've gone into the vaults to bring back an archived beer review. This week we'll be dipping back into Season Zero, back when we used to do three beer reviews per episode. We've since now condensed it down to one beer review per episode because we found out the three beer reviews were too long and got too out of hand by the end of it. So, this week, we'll be going back to COVID-era circa April 2020, where Armando brings out Yosef's Brow, a Hefeweizen from Trader Joe's. This B-review is notable for the number of times that Armando says the word banana, and is also notable for Kyle introducing the word crushable into Fountain City Sports Media. So, without further ado, please enjoy Armando drinking Yosef's Brow from Trader Joe's. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Not Another Podcast, or the artist formerly known as Podcast, or some other name, TBD. Uh, it's that time of the show again where we go around and we review the beers we have in our fridge, or the beers we've been itching to try, or just the beer we feel like drinking. And as we talked about, uh, it is Armando's turn to break the seal, so to say. So Armando, I'm going to throw it to you. What you got sipping today? I'm drinking a Yosef's Brow Hefeweizen from Trader Joe's. <laughs> so if it's Trader Joe's, then does that mean it's like someone else's beer just like labeled under the Trader Joe's brand? Yeah, it's probably just, it's probably like, well, Yosef's Brow is probably like Hofbrow Hefeweizen. Oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Knowing that it's Trader Joe's, it, it, it was probably like mashed by foot by some Swedish young hippie named Gunta in like northwestern Alaska. That's a shout out to Gunta. I know you're out there. Shout out, shout out Gunta on our AKA don't know what our podcast <laughs> name is. Dude, I, All right, here we go with the I always target you when you do your, sorry. Because I love you. No, I like that. that. Was good. We can we can have Gunta on as a as a regular character. <laughs> no. Shout out to Gunta. She can be like she can, Gunta can be our like beer maker. Yeah. She just like she, she just like wears like a floral outfit on the first of every summer and just pats the mash down with her feet and then ships it off to Trader Joe's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that creepy? I All don't right, know. here we go. Ugh. Okay, so I'm about to do some aroma tasting on this guy. Okay, a lot of banana, a lot of clove, but I'm not surprised. You don't know what clove smells bit. like. Oh, I do. I work at a brewery. It's a little dark banana, though. Um, I like a little fresher banana smell on my Hefeweizen. So if you think of like a ripe banana, it's like a riper banana. Because of the riper banana, I'm going to give it a 7.5 on aroma. Okay, appearance. Again, a little bit cloudier than I would think, not as clear. Um, it's not even like a lighter yellow. Reese, what what color would you put a Hefeweizen in, like a standard? Uh, standard half is going to be kind of a uh, like a dark goldenrod color, like a very, a very uh, kind of... I don't know, yellowish amber in terms of its color. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting like way more amber in it, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um <laughs> Well see I, I have the I got the flux filter on my computer right now, so everything's tinted in a shade of amber to black out all the uh, the blue light. 
So it just looks like it just looks like a stout to you. Yeah, it's basically. <laughs> I can't see your hand on the other side of that glass. Why is Armando drinking lean during the podcast? <laughs> you told me that styrofoam cup was to was to enhance the coldness. All right, I'm gonna give this guy another. I'm just gonna give a seven on appearance, just because I thought it would look a little lighter on the Hefeweizen. Because yeah, I don't know the ones that I drink are usually a little lighter in in color. Okay, flavor. Ooh, not what I thought it was gonna taste like. This one tastes like milky banana, which I'm actually okay with. That's strange. Let me do one more. It's like banana smoothie. That's weird. It's probably the malt. I think the malt's really giving it that that heavier flavor on the banana and like the thicker banana flavor. Huh. That is interesting. I kind of like it. Yes. I think I'm going to give it, I'll give it an eight. That's not bad. Good, good job, Gunta from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Thank you, Gunta. Uh, mouthfeel, mouthfeel is really good. Not too light, but also not too heavy. It's a very balanced flavor for the Hefeweizen on the mouthfeel. Going to get that an eight. And then aftertaste, very smooth. Um, I'll give that an eight, five on aftertaste. So I was actually pretty surprised. I don't know how much it was. I forgot. But I'm figuring the ones from Trader Joe's are a little cheaper. So if you're looking for a good value Hefeweizen, it's not going to be your like true tasting Hef, though, because there is just a lot of clove and banana in it. But if you're on a budget, why not? Uh, what would you rate it for a BDQ? BDQ, uh, I'd give it a 7. Right on. Right on. That's a great review, Armando. Thank you for that. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, and thank you for creating a character. Listen, uh... I really want Reese to create a supercut of all of the times and ways you said banana during that segment. <laughs> banana. Right. Banana. Dark banana. Milky. Banana. 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 I want to set my ringtone as you saying the word banana. Hey, we can make that on the Patreon. Just Armando's like banana ringtone. Banana. 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 Well, uh, banana. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll make you guys a deal. I'll spend this next week. Uh, I will supercut Armando saying banana and I'll put it into like a. Uh, lo-fi just like trap beat oh hell yeah everybody chill (laughs) oh kyle kyle i also want to interject sorry that this aftertaste is getting worse and worse (laughs) i'm gonna amend mine and say it's at a four now oh no this is getting skunky really fast dude <laughs> this is this is not trader joe's girder is not doing really well Gunta. <laughs> Gunta. see we can't even get his name straight that's how you know he's not a good master brewer her her reese her. Did, you, did you just misgender we hope you enjoyed this travel back in time and hearing armando review yosef's brow by trader joe's to hear the complete 15 minute beer review segment as well as more of season zero you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. It's kind of fun to see where we came from and, and how the beer review segment has evolved over time. But for now, let's not dwell on the past and let's get back to the episode. So welcome back to Fountain City Sports Media. As we were alluding to in the first half of the podcast, pitching has been a giant game of chess that so far 
uh, our rookies are looking a little rook. <laughs> Don't really have a castle to stand on. And uh, something, something, something queen. I ran out of analogies there. Our queens ain't killer. So let's talk about where we are now coming out of this losing streak. Now, we've actually not done too bad. We have won four of the last five. We beat the White Sox in the first two games. Should have had a sweep if it weren't for that terrible at the base, uh, or sorry, at the home plate call to end the game. But we just took a two-game sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers in a very hard-fought, well-won series. Now, we've talked about pitching and how getting them to just kind of be consistent, figuring out roles is going to be a key going forward. But equally important is going to be our bats. And lo and behold, our lineup, we've had a number of different People hitting in a number of different places, playing a number of different positions. And again, consistency, consistency, consistency is going to be key. So, Noah, going forward, do you think this batting order can get it together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think I, I, they're too talented not to, man. There's so many skilled hitters on this team. You know, I it, it feels like, man, when you look at this lineup, if, if you're throwing an analogy, if you were to plug this into the show, the unbe- would be unbeatable. You know, like this is like a this is a really this is the best Royals lineup we've seen in probably World Series run. Yeah, I'd say it's better than 2016. Oh yeah, you know, and the thing is, is that man, it's like you said when we sync, we sync together because a guy like Carlos Santana, who's so patient at the plate. And such a good, also a good leader, you know, a strong vocal guy. How did we get to that point? And like you said, the bats couldn't score for two and a half games. There's so many questions. I wonder it's like a mental, like mentally about this team and this lineup, Mm -hmm. because you can't have more than two or three guys slumping at the same time. And hell we had six or seven. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think going forward, if they can get a strong mental game and just, just, just hit consistently, don't worry about go one for three, you know, worry about the, the fundamental contact, everything, try to get back to the old, uh, keep the line moving mentality. I don't understand what the hitting coach is teaching right now. No, I, I fully understand what you're saying. And if you look at last night's game and the comeback against the Brewers, that's exactly what happened. We scored the old-fashioned way. We got somebody on second base, bunted them to third, sack bunted them home, and lo and behold, when you had Dyson pinch running on third base, and even when you knew the bunt was going to be coming, you're scared. He's so fast, you're scared. And it was exactly like when Lucas Duda overthrew the guy at first in the World Series because you knew Dyson was running. The pitcher had a good read and almost made a great play on that bunt, but he knew he had to make a perfect throw to get Dyson out. He choked and missed the ball, and subsequently, we scored. The gates were broken through, and that was all she wrote. That was beautiful, classic Royal small ball. Matthew needs to take a page out of old Ned's book. You know, <laughs> he does, man. He does. He needs to tell these guys, look like what, wh- what were we doing in our, in our slump? We were hitting, swinging for the fences and you were seeing Solaire nearly pulling, you know, fracturing his hip, trying to swing at the baseball, you oh, know, and yeah. what, and his home run last night, what was it? it was a fluid. He used his entire body, you know, uses hips, the, the proper way of, he should hit the, fo- the baseball football. Gosh. Can it's I just early. say that the best part about a Jorge Soler home run is that he's one of those guys that when he gets his swing in there, you know, that thing is destroyed. 
Like, yeah. you can just tell the second he swings, it's gone. Some guys like Salve, you know, they're so strong that they can hit kind of like off the top of the barrel a little bit late. And it might, okay, it went over the fence. No, when Solaire connects, you're like, bye. <laughs> you hear it. You hear yes. the contact off the bat. Yeah. Not just that, but like he, like I said, like what you're, you're we're, we're taller guys, right? You're six, five, I'm six, four. He's a six, four man. He doesn't have to use his arms and his strength to hit the baseball. All he has to do is use his fluid motion and that thing's going to go to almost 500 feet. You know, you have, yep. to, you have five, 54 home runs two years ago. There's gotta be something that's not clicking and you, it, it, it will get figured out, man. He's too good. But right now, my question for you is, do we resign him at the end of the season? Oh, man. Well, as we've seen, the new ownership is definitely willing to open up the pocketbook, giving two-year contracts to Ben Attendi, Carlos Santana, Hunter mm-hmm. Dozier getting that four-year deal. Oh, That's a good signing. Unless we get a King's ransom of two or three guaranteed like rotational hitting prospects, I don't see how we can get rid of Solaire right now. I agree. I agree. Um He's becoming a liability at, at at some point when you're hitting 193, 42 games into the season. Yeah. Well, is, is and he's not been patient as far as I've seen. The, the patient, no, the patience has been bad. Uh, it's been very much returning to like that 2017 form before he really settled in and started working with that specialty hitting coach we got. But I don't know. Maybe the answer is uh, bring him back. Him, bring him back. Uh, bring I'd say him maybe takes takes Solaire out of the lineup for a hot second just to see if like hitting for contact can kind of a get us some more runs and more consistency and b just getting him out of there giving him some time to think about his swing and maybe just practice for a little bit right we mentioned the season's still young it's not do Mm -hmm. or die time yet and we're still good enough to win so and he hit a clutch home run he hit a clutch home run last night which is his mo is is he's clutch as well Mm -hmm. no 110 percent. i agree i agree and he's not a, he's not like Gordon where he'll get into like a three for 45 slump, you know, like he, he is this year. It's just, this is the first time I've really ever seen him just not click at all. I mean, he has the spurts, but yeah, it's a uh, back when we first got Solaire and people were like, oh, we traded still prime Wade Davis for this. You know, he was he was swinging at anything. If he, if he thought it was going to be in the zone, he was taking a big old hack at it. I think this time, I think he's still reading pitches better. He's still being a little bit more patient, but he's just trying to moonshot everything where it's like, dude, we Mm -hmm. don't always need you to moonshot. If you want to mash like a double that hits the wall, that's perfect. You know, send that guy home. And he can hit for contact. The thing is, he can hit for contact. He can do it well. Oh, yeah. And like you said, because of the way he, because of his power, when he hits for contact, he can hit him out as well. Like just, just, just trying to hit for a single. He hit one of the left center at one point, the 54 year. I remember he just, it was just a one handed and he crushed it out of the park. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The the guy is just like beast mode. He's incredible. But, you know, it it makes me wonder. He's not the only guy who's taken moonshots every time he comes up to bat. Right. Uh, The the times Ben Intendi hasn't been so hot this year. He's been trying to prove he can hit for power too. He's probably trying to get a big contract after this. I don't blame him. But Ben Attendee's great because he's from that Merrifield Zobris mold. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, you can hit in your sleep. You can't teach that great swing and instinct you have. Dude, just just get on base, man. Drive that batting average up. I don't understand how is Wit not mentoring him right now? 
I mean, like, uh, Whit might be dealing with his own demons right now. Just in the the terms of his play, he he's been slumping over the last month. He's not he's not doing so hot. He's what's he batting right now? He's at two fifty. Which, you know, again, is, is fine. That's for like Witt, average, that's not good. For Witt, no, that's not good. Not for the guy who's been leading the American League in batting average for the last few years. That, that was the three, for the past three years, he has the most hits in the, ma- three or four years, he has like the most hits in the major league of anyone. And a couple of years ago, he had that hitting streak that went over like 30 games, didn't he? Set the Royals yeah. record. See, and these, these things, these facts that we're saying, it just proves to you that we have the ability to not only snap out of this, but just catch fire and just have wit hitting over you know hitting everything and solar is going to hit him for contact and power i mean there's just mm-hmm. there's so many reasons to be optimistic and and i it's it's because of that four out of five that we've won that i'm really feeling like the wild card spot is still in the it, it possible well we've had some other guys too that have just been so hot and cold and if we could just get some semblance of like a floor of consistency for him, you like michael a taylor he had such a great opening week. He really played kind of mellow to mediocre since then, but recently he's upped his game, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's another guy who could contribute huge. I think he plays pretty good defense. He had that home run saving grab yesterday. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he. Oh. that was vintage, what, Kane, vintage, Beltron, vintage. Yeah. Like just oh man, they they got a good they got a, a steal with with Taylor man, and you know he's got a cannon too. Oh, absolutely, that guy is a he's so talented. He's a very athletic individual, but he's also a very smart player. He's incredibly great at tracking balls. Very mm-hmm. good at reading pitchers. It's he's great. I love him. I love him. I love him. Some other guys though in the lineup, you know, it's like Nicky Lopez. We've been getting. <sighs> We're getting from Nicky Lopez what we should expect to get from Nicky Lopez. He's great at making contact with the ball. Unfortunately, he's also great at grounding out subsequently because he gets contact with the ball. He's not mm-hmm. super strong of a batter, but there's been some runs this year where, man, he's been huge in that nine spot for us. I mean, we're still waiting on Mondi to get... Is he... He's still... <sighs> uh, I know. I know. I didn't want to bring him up with you. I know he's our the bane of your existence as a Royals fan. I stand by it. Sammy Mondkins, man. He's so he's so talented, <laughs> so huge for the team, but he's never there. Just I, just just mentioning that, like, okay, I, I somebody I saw this comment on Instagram. You know, I'm going off the Royals track, but Cornell Powell looks like a clone of Sammy Watkins, apparently. Oh. Yeah, dude, he looks like a he looks like a beast he's got great route running and great hands and just great instincts i mean it's it's that's it's brett brett was sitting there going wait a sec he's still there he's like oh yeah give me sammy 2.0 oh, all right absolutely he's got the field <laughs> no. vision of busio and he's got the tangibles of sammy watkins that's right we're tying all of our kansas city sports together in these days. Yeah, yeah but hey i'm glad you brought up mondesi because he injured his oblique a day before opening day he was mm-hmm. slated to be on that 10-day injured list. We still haven't seen him almost two months into the season. And that's the man's made of glass. I don't know what it is. He is. And, and the whole thing has sent a domino effect through the lineup. That paired with the uh, the consistent injuries to Hunter Dozier, who's one of our better contact hitters. Right. I mean, if you look at the batting order right now, this is nothing like how it was slated to look a day before opening day. And it's I think that really has to do, too, with people not really being able to get in sync and get comfortable in their spot in the batting order. I mean, Whit Merrifield's bat everywhere. Ben Intendi's been in the top four. He's been in the bottom four. 
The only real consistent thing here is that we've got Perez and Soler batting four and five. Yeah, and and Soler, it's like you could put him in the nine spot, Matheny, just to give him a message, something like that. Salvi's been easily, I'd say what Salvi and, and Santana have been our most consistent uh, middle of the order hitters. Absolutely. And, and even Salvi's, when Salvi's, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Salvi's on a uh, quiet dark horse MVP run right now. Oh, absolutely. I, I didn't expect Salvi to keep getting better at this age. I kind of expect him to plateau off, be the Salvi we knew, and, you know, maybe fade in the back end of his 30s. But maybe mm-hmm. like Travis Kelsey, he's just getting better and better. Ah, you knew that's the exact, I would say he's the Travis Kelsey of our, our situation. Yes, man. Because all you see out of both of those players is becoming greater, le- better leaders as they get older and better players man better yeah. numbers better yeah that's yeah, crazy and we really got i love that we're keeping him in a dh role too Mm-hmm. yep i mean cam gallagher is a very capable player particularly you know in subbing in for sal because i mean i know as he's getting older we're saying his bat's getting better his decision making's getting better but like those knees you know only what yachty has maybe survived playing catcher as long as he has at as high of a level mm-hmm. as he has it's hard, and Salvi's a big dude. He's like 6'3", 255, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, dude, he's a he's a monster, man. Like, that's exactly the thing is that he's built like a linebacker trying to play catcher. Oh, yeah. He's going to trade in that Price Chopper sponsorship for Ben Gay at some point in his career. That's <laughs> looking into my crystal ball. But what I'm getting at ultimately with his batting order is that I think on paper, like you mentioned, if this is MLB The Show and you could just plug in these guys one to nine in the right order, this would be a super fun team to play with. They're going to put up a lot of runs, put up four and a half to five every game minimum. And that's kind of what we saw at the beginning of the year where people were more healthy. I mean, albeit, you know, the Rangers weren't the greatest team in the world, but we've seen what this offense can do when everybody knows their roles and everybody's in their spot. What Mm -hmm. we really need to happen is for people to get healthy so people can kind of settle in and people can start playing to their strengths. And I think when we get that, that's when we're going to see this offense really ignite. And I think there's possibility for that over the last three-fourths of the season. I think it's, gosh, this the year going to, you know this analogy is just going to kill me. But it's the Belichickian, do your job, or know your role, <laughs> and do your job way that's oh. going to help this team win and, and possibly compete. It is, man. It's just obvious at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. Same thing goes for the bullpen. You know, I know Matheny's been playing around and he hasn't really stuck to anybody in a consistent role, partially because of injuries, partially because I think he's playing around too much. But mm-hmm. that's going to be a conversation for another time. I think it's exciting for me to see that he trotted out Stallmont last night as the closer because I do think he is our best get-us-three-outs guy. He needs um, to be our closer, man. He does. I also think Stamont needs to take less time in between pitches. I think he's a better stop trying to hit me and hit me sort of guy. Whereas last night he was taking so much time between his pitches, he was getting into his own head. And I think ultimately that's partially why he's having a hard time with his placement and he's not throwing gas the way we're accustomed to. But that being said, give him some time to settle into that closer position. We got a long season ahead of us, and I think he's the guy going forward. Same thing, find a role for Barlow. Find the conditions to play Greg Holland where I think he can still contribute. Just don't put him in there for super high leverage situations. And I think it's a trickle down through the bullpen the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you just well, the Ned Yost way of get a couple outs. 
use this person because you know, this matchup is going, it, 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 you think it would be simple as a coach or as a manager, use the man, the, your best matchup to your advantage with your bullpen. Mm -hmm. But he just keeps thinking, well, this kid pitched pretty well. I'm just going to keep, just, just keep letting him go. And then, you know, a walk, a, a, a hit batter or whatever, a single. And then all of a sudden the lead's gone. Exactly. And I think previewing next week's podcast, it's a very similar thing with Sporting Kansas City right now. And both teams are a testament to why you can't just keep throwing spaghetti against the wall until you make a, a Monet painting. You know, you got to <laughs> figure out what works. Keep those things locked in and then go from there. This isn't a Rubik's Cube where you have to blow up an entire side to make another side work. You can figure out what is working on this side and just build around that until you have something that consistently works. You have three outstanding leaders and, and coaches, Andy Reid, Vermees, and uh, Matheny. Proven. I, I believe Matheny's a champion, isn't he? Didn't he win one with the Cardinals? They're all champions. They're all champions. Yes. And 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 you know, find out what works with what players, and then use that to your advantage. But also look to upgrade. Look to get better. Look to. I know sporting is a lot like they they love to find midseason acquisitions and 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 continue to you know build their team. The Royals not so much, but we'll see how Sherman does this year because. If we're anywhere near com competing uh, by the trade deadline, he's going to try and help us out. So, got to well, find the right psyche. <laughs> well, that's going to bring me to my final topic of discussion on this podcast, and that we seemingly have gotten out of the mud rut, and we're starting to build some off-road momentum now. As I mentioned, we've taken four of the last five. This team is starting to get back on track, trending in the right direction. We're not completely out of this. Uh, I mean, things don't look great right now. The White Sox are really starting to put things together as we knew they would. Uh, you know, we're sitting six games out from them. Long season. Theoretically, we could still catch them. But I think we need to focus less on catching the White Sox and more on just looking at the guy directly in the standings ahead of us and climbing our way into a wild card spot. We're three and a half behind the Indians. I would say don't let that get into six games plus. Just keep tagging the Indians until you can eventually leapfrog them. Noah, do you think this team is built going forward to contend for a wild card spot still? Yes. Now, I think that our strength does not rely in our arms. I think that this lineup, once they put everything together and can give our pitchers four to five runs a game, it would just say three to four. Three to four runs a game just to compete, let our pitchers, our starters, and, and bullpen compete. Yeah, we can win 85, 80 to 85 games. You know, I'd say 85 to 90 is usually what the wild card lies around, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. But yes, I do. I, I think the lineup is our is our gonna be our saving grace because it's so good, man. It's like you said on paper. That was my whole point with the show thing is the ratings, how high rated all these hitters would be in the in our and are in the game of baseball on paper. That lineup should just we should be putting up four or five runs a game. I like where your head is at with all of this because I think ultimately the bats are going to be the saving grace for this team. I know for a lot of podcasts early on in the season, we were saying, well, what's more important here, the bats, the pitching, or the bullpen? I think we're far enough into the season that if I had to rank them, I would say the bats to put the runs on the board to take the pressure off of the starting pitching in the bullpen. Number two, being the bullpen so that when the bats do put up a five runs and a two-run lead heading into the seventh, you hold on to that. 
And number three being the pitching. We just need the pitching to find its floor and stick to it. Because right now there's been way too much variance for me to rely on not only the people in the rotation, but the people in the rotation staying consistent. So that's what I think is going to be telling as the year goes on personally. Yeah, like you said with the bullpen, definitely finding your role for everyone's role. Finding a consistent like a consistent role for every pitcher to know where you're going to put them. Because this mixing and matching stuff, it's just not working. You need if you got Barlow in the seventh, you can use Holland and and uh I don't know whoever else. If Zimmer comes back, mm-hmm. you, whoever in the eighth, use your lefty, whatever. You can be flexible with the setup, man, and then use Stormont as our closer. But but yeah, man, I don't know. Uh we we we're, we're coming out like you said. We're we're four out of five. We got a decent stretch. Let's just keep it going. That's all I say. Go Royals, baby. Go Royals, baby. Well, we will see what happens to this team who is only four games behind that second wild card spot. Long season to go. Noah, we're gonna have to have you back on at some point during the season to help talk us through this because. I'm excited. I'm enjoying watching Royals baseball and caring about it as we tiptoe into June. So that's about all I can ask for right now. I totally, uh, I've been so much, but I have the, I have the package now to watch all the games at my place, which means you need to come over and watch game, but also I got to keep up and make sure that when I come back on, you know, I can, I can really slice and dice a little bit more because it's, it was hard to follow them in depth during the 11-game stretch. Uh, well, I mean, no one's going to argue with that, especially the fact that now you're set up with the, the package to watch games, you're out of the valley and into the valley because, man, <laughs> it's been difficult. <laughs> that TV deal is just straight awful. I don't understand why you changed what works because people were watching the Royals play even when they weren't winning, and now that they're competing, your view, your ratings would be through the roof. But they're uh, not. As a great man named Mr. Krabs once said, Money. <laughs> money, 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 money. <laughs> well, there you go. Hopefully the Royals can continue making some money, can continue playing some money ball, and by the end of this season we'll be saying a money in regards to making that second wild card spot. Noah, thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. We'll have you on very soon, my friend, but intend that uh, until then, God bless. Keep care, my dude. Thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure, as usual. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Noah, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.